Are you currently in college or recently graduated but kind of struggling to figure out how to approach your post-grad life? If so, then I have the perfect guide for you, which I created for my college self in mind. That is the Everyday Girl's Guide to Career Success ebook, which features a holistic approach to all things starting out in your career during and after college, from cultivating the right mindset, building your resume, maximizing your LinkedIn profile and network, and so much more. I take you through a personal step-by-step guide on how to prepare for all areas needed when searching for a job. And these were actually many steps that I personally did between my sophomore and senior year of college, as well as the first year out of college. So I always highly recommend to start early to create opportunities for yourself. In this ebook guide, you will find cover letter tips and custom templates available for download, resume building steps with three custom templates, LinkedIn tools, and step-by-step guide on maximizing your profile, top 20 behavioral interview questions, and a lot more. Again, you can find this online at whatfulfillsyou.com. Just make sure when you click shop, just go to all products and you will find the ebook there, or just go to the show notes and it will be linked. Emily Elizabeth, and I'm the host of the What Fulfills You podcast, a show for and about individuals always seeking to be their best selves. On this show, we talk all about building the mindset, finding the right careers, creating meaningful relationships, and so much more. Welcome to the What Fulfills You podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the What Fulfills You podcast. My name is Emily Elizabeth. I'm your host. Today, I sit down with a fellow social media friend and entrepreneur, Kaylin Grace Apple, and we do chat in person, which is one of my favorite parts about recording podcasts with those who are able to come into the city or are also based in New York because I personally love having conversations in person when possible because it's just way more fun and the connection is great. A little bit more about Kaylin. She is a aspiring scholar and second year PhD student in history and African American studies at Yale University. In addition to her work as a doctoral student, Kaylin is also the founder and CEO of Accepted Consulting, co-founder and CEO of Accepted Society, and the creator behind the Redhead Academic. As a former professional equestrian and community college alumnus, Kaylin also aims to support students seeking to reach their full potential while charting an unconventional path to success through the formation of her three businesses. With that being said, I hope you guys enjoy this conversation and let's welcome Kaylin to the podcast. This is so exciting. First, I guess we have to preface that we technically first met on zoom Mm -hmm. over two years ago when i don't even know how i had the guts to do this back then because i was so much smaller back then because i had Mm -hmm. only just started what fulfills you but i think around maybe spring or summer of 2020 i everyone was like lonely as heck and no one was hanging out together outside of the house so i did a zoom hangout and you were part of that Mm -hmm. and i remember so we go way back and that was when i was living in orange county yeah i remember that apartment (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's it's been a huge involvement so welcome to the show thank you it's exciting to meet in person um obviously i will you know talk about your background but i really want to dive into your college process because obviously that's very unique and I think uh, you know I have an audience that some of which are are in college right now or might go through a similar path as you but you went from community college 
to UCLA, then getting your master's at Oxford, and then now at Yale for your PhD, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) So can you share the process? Let's start with like transferring from community college to UCLA. What was that process like? And what would you say are the most difficult obstacles that people come by in the transfer process that people don't talk about afterwards when they successfully do it? So I think it's important to give some context. Yeah. So I actually was not a good student in high school. Okay. Had very low grades, almost didn't graduate. And when I finally got the high school diploma, I was like, I am never going back to school. Screw this. I'm not doing it. Yeah. And I'd had a conversation with my dad and I said, I'm going to go ride horses professionally. I got an internship and I'm going to go do that. And he mm-hmm. said, essentially, okay, well, you're making an adult decision. Mm-hmm. And if you're going to make an adult decision, that means that I'm going to treat you like an adult. And so you need to move out and Ooh. you need to figure out how to make it on your own. Mm. And so I moved out. I just, I think I just turned 18 when I got my apartment up in Sonoma. And so I rode, uh, I worked up to being a professional and turned pro in, within a year and made it what happened and competed and, yeah. and everything. And then about two and a half years in, I started getting the the uncomfortable feeling that I'm hitting a wall. Like Ooh. I I accomplished everything that I thought my entire life was going to be focused on hmm. by the time I'm 18. And now what? Because I never saw past that. Mm-hmm. And so the decision to go back to community college and pursue an education was mostly out of boredom. Okay. I just felt really unfulfilled mm-hmm. and just felt like yeah, I just I just need something to ground my mind in. I just don't feel challenged enough. Yeah. And so I went to community college, took some night classes, online classes because I was working full time. Mm-hmm. I'm working full time in the horse industries. Yeah, you know, seven days a week on the road, competing and all of it. And so I just did it simply because I was like, well, maybe I'll get an associate's degree. Maybe I'll just take some classes. We'll see. Interesting. And it was. I think about a year or so into going to community college that I'd had a conversation with a client mm-hmm. and she's like, why are you doing this? Why are you writing? Like you're missing out on all this opportunity. You're, you're smart. Like, why are you doing this mm. with your life? Mm. And I, she, I think she could tell. And I think quite a few people in my life could tell, like I wasn't quite happy with it. Okay. And that's when I, I remember I had a conversation with my dad and I said, I'm going to go to school. I'm going to transfer. I want to go to college. Okay. And so the process was something that I think it's important to say that everybody's transfer process looks a little bit different because instead of going from high school and having the support system of your parents and the support system of your high school Mm -hmm. counselors and whatnot, Mm -hmm. anybody is going to community college and seeking to transfer has a very different support network and everybody looks a little bit different. Right. And so for me... I had gone to the transfer counselors and they're like, well, your grades like aren't really going to get you into the good schools. Like maybe you can get into like San Jose State. We can get into like a smaller state school. Mm. And I was like, well, it's just like not good enough for me. (laughs) And I said, basically, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to I'm going to do it 100 percent. So I turned to YouTube, got the study hacks, like figured out how to actually develop a study system, Mm. got the grades. And then when I went to transfer, I'd say that the most important thing that you're coming up against is how do you tell your story in these college essays to demonstrate that 
your decision to have not gone to college right away or your decision to have taken a non-traditional path mm-hmm. actually lends itself to you actually being a better student than perhaps the current student body. Right. And the the general stigma of your peers and whatnot. And I would say once I got to UCLA, it was actually a pretty smooth transition. Like there's there's some like little little changes in terms of adjusting to the expectations and things. But I would say the biggest challenge for community college students is that they're all quite diverse in our experiences. Right. So I came from having a career yeah, and having thought that that was going to be my life. And others go to community college directly from high school thinking, this is how I'm going to strategically make it so that way I have more opportunity to get into the top schools. That's right. And so there's there's different ways to navigate it. Yeah. When you went to community college and then going into UCLA, which is obviously a very difficult school to get into. Um, Fun fact, I didn't get into UCLA. So, you know, (laughs) I'm just going to put it out there because I actually went to UC Irvine first. Mm -hmm. I don't often like that's so like history now that I don't even like mention it. But like I I graduated from Chapman, but I went to UC Irvine first as an out-of-state student. But I'm curious, did your high school grades matter at that point then in that transfer process coming from community college? And how old were you at that time? Then were you like 20, So 21? I started at UCLA when I was 22. So okay, it, took wow. me, it took me four years. Wow. Okay. So what was that evaluation process like when you were yeah. kind of, you know, a few years out of high school? So they required you to send the transcripts, but oh, it doesn't do. really play into their decision. Okay. It's really the community college credits. But I will say... I think I was a rather lucky case because I started community college and like I said, I was just doing it casually. Yeah. And I didn't know how to study. And I got like 2.0, like mm-hmm. really bad GPA, barely yeah. passed my classes, withdrew from classes. I think I took stats like three or four times yeah. until I finally passed it. Yeah. And so even then, like I didn't actually have the grades to get into the schools that I got into, but because you show I showed that upward trajectory. Yeah. And that's what I tell my clients that accepted consulting. It's it's about the overall package that yeah. you're submitting and that you're you're showing them all the different facets of your personality and you can use the essays to contextualize. Mm-hmm. And so the UC transfer process was a little bit different than the other schools I applied to. Mm-hmm. The UCs in California, they just have the transfer, like four essays, your transcripts, and that's it. No letters of recommendation, no resume, like very mm-hmm. little context. Right. The other schools I applied to had supplements, recommendation letters, a bunch of other things. So I applied to a bunch of schools on the East Coast. Okay. And the decision to go to UCLA was actually a very last minute one because I didn't think, one, I didn't think I was going to get in. Okay. But two, when I got in, I was like, I don't want to live in LA. Right. I want to live on the nor- in the Northeast. Yeah. And I feel like you're such a Northeast girl. I mean, I've lived in LA, so I totally yeah. understand. I feel like the Northeast and, you know, just like the academia, like lifestyle yeah. here fits you more. <laughs> I think New York looks good on you too. Thank you. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm glad to be back on the Northeast. Um, but okay, wait, that's super interesting. It's funny that you mentioned that. And I'm really glad that you're really open about your actual GPA at the time and that because you know same with me I mean again like I went I don't think I had like anything crazy about my college experience but I will say I feel like a lot of people think that I was really smart in school and what a lot of people kind of know because I've mentioned on the podcast before but when I think my GPA my first quarter of college was 2.7 and I mean like you know but so funny because people always think because of what you are now or how you're doing mm-hmm. now that you must have been like 
really freaking yeah. good back then or you know like I failed um calculus in college too and uh, apparently that was the most failed course at UC Irvine and I think that got in my head so I think I kind of was a self-fulfilling prophecy because I took yeah. it the second time and got an A so it was weird but um <laughs> I think that's great to share though to people if I heard this when I was in school and I realized, again, I think we both had a, a sense of drive and self-discipline mm-hmm. at the time, realizing like we can do better for ourselves. Yeah. But when I saw that 2.7, I was horrified. I could not tell anyone. And I think that was the motivation. But I think yeah. hearing other girls a few years ahead of us or a few years ahead of me at that time, I would have been like, okay, like they, they've yeah. done it. Like I can do it too, you know? Yeah. Um, okay. So from UCLA to Oxford. Mm-hmm. Share that process and why did you want to go to Oxford? Because you go from not really, you know, liking school, not really caring to study, that kind of thing, to now like really being an academic and that's also a big part of your brand. Can you can you share like what what happened? (laughs) So I got into UCLA and the conversation that I had that actually led me to go to UCLA was I was talking with a friend. I had just gotten in, just gotten the acceptance letter. And he had said to me, I can't believe that you would even consider not going to UCLA. It's so perfect for you. Mm. And I asked him to elaborate. And he's like, well, like your interest in history is something that I think you could really explore at a research institution, which you might not get at the other schools that you have been looking at. Because I was Mm -hmm. looking at a bunch of liberal arts colleges in the Northeast. And so I did the research and saw that they had a thesis option, it was voluntary, that there were grants that you could apply to to go do field work even as an undergrad. And there was just like something in my brain that went off and said, this is the opportunity you need to take it. And the second I got to UCLA, I remembered having the mentality of like, it. it, this is your make it or break it moment. You Mm -hmm. have to make this work for you. Yeah get opportunities, make friendships, network the heck out of this, like go talk to professors, get research experience, make this as useful to you as possible. Do not waste this moment. Yeah. And I didn't. I went to office hours every week. I talked to professors that got research experience. And it was while doing the research that I realized this is something I can't let go of. This is something that I can can tell this is the same kind of passion that I had for riding. And I can feel it just it's clicking yes and it was my senior year i had studied abroad at cambridge for the Mm -hmm. summer and i remembered having a conversation with my dad i was still riding horses freelance i remember being in the barn aisle on the phone with him and i was like crying and i was like i just there's something in me that's just saying that i need to apply to grad school like i just there's something i just need to do it and at the time he was like well my opinion doesn't matter. You've always like made the decision as to what it is you're going to do. And I support you, whatever it is that you decide. And so I went to my professors and I was like, I think I'm going to apply to grad school. And I think I'm going to apply to the UK. Something in my brain is telling me that that's what I need to do. Right. And so I ended up applying. A lot of people don't know this. I applied to two different types of master's programs. I applied for human rights law. Okay. And I applied for history. And I was like, well, I'm just going to cast it out there. Uh-huh. And wherever I get in... I'll I'll make my decision when it comes to it. Mm-hmm. And when I got that acceptance letter from Oxford, I just knew that that was the that was the path I needed to go down. Wow. And so the decision to going to Ox to go to Oxford was also strategic because when I made the decision that I wanted to go to grad school, 
I wanted to take that as far as it would go. I knew I wanted to apply to PhD programs. Oh, wow. I didn't feel ready in undergrad. You can technically apply directly mm-hmm. from undergrad to, gra- to a PhD program. Yeah. Didn't feel like I had enough experience yet. Yeah. And so my decision to go to Oxford was a strategic one because I knew if I could gain further research experience and actually work with the archival records that I wanted yeah. to, that I could leverage that in the PhD admissions process. And luckily that strategy worked out quite well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I like that you mentioned that during that process, because obviously you didn't know until a certain point that you felt an inkling to mm-hmm. go get your master's and go to grad school. I'm curious, for for you personally, how do you make decisions more often like for example i think there's a lot of some people that would be like okay maybe more planning oriented and looking at it from like undergrad years of okay i really plan to go to grad school and for you at that time it kind of sounded like suddenly it was slowly building up on you and it started to almost be kind of like a gut feeling yeah what are your thoughts around that and how you made a decision more a little bit around gut feeling because and again it's interesting too because i feel like i used to be an extremely logical and rational person. And over the past year or so, I've noticed there are certain things and that it comes out primarily in anything that's like personal goal related Mm -hmm. and relationships where you just can't explain it in scientific data terms. (laughs) You just can't, but there's something there and you just know it. Even if your closest friends and family think you're whack, whether it's like being with that person or taking that route for your career, you know what I mean? So I kind of want to see, hear your thoughts on how you dive into that. So this might be slightly controversial. I, we get told, especially millennials and Gen Z, like, go follow your passion, make that career career. And I remember that rhetoric kind of circulating when I was in high school and when I was riding horses professionally and people were like, oh, you followed your passion. This is great. And one, passions evolve. But two, also, I think that it's really hard to indicate what those are. And passions are really deeply, like, intertwined with Mm -hmm. intuition. Mm -hmm. And... In order to figure out what that gut feeling is, one, there's two things that you need, in my opinion. One, you need to open up as many doors as possible along the way, and you mm. need to sh- you need to show grit and effort. And two, you have to give yourself opportunities to fail and learn from them mm-hmm. in order to figure out what it is that's right for you, because it's right. really difficult to figure those things out at the beginning. Yeah, and with the second part, I think you're giving yourself evidence as to that you can trust yourself because right. in order to actually listen to your intuition and get a sense of what it's trying to tell you, right. you have to be trusting of that and lean into it. Yeah. And I think that's the part that people really struggle with is mm-hmm. that their gut is always telling them something, mm-hmm. but they've never really leaned into it and taken a chance. And so that that there's not that level of trust within oneself. And so for me with college, I thought I maybe wanted to go to law school. I thought maybe I wanted to go this way or that way. Mm -hmm. I could go back to writing if I really wanted to. I also like, I worked for a year in medical device research because I needed an income and I needed um, and whatnot. And so just opening up as many doors as I could, but also with every single one of those doors, like not just like putting your toe out there mm-hmm. and saying like, oh, I'm just going to take a peek. It's it's like open it, 
take advantage of what's there, show show up yeah. and show effort and show that you're, you can, you're very capable. And then those doors kind of stay open for you. Like if I wanted to go back into writing, I could go back into writing. If I wanted to go medical device research again, I don't, but like if I ever yeah. did, like yeah. those, I still have those doors because I also prove to those people that stand behind those doors, I put in a, a good amount of work and and all of these things. And so I gave myself as many options as possible along the way. And that's Mm -hmm. what I still try to do, Mm -hmm. um, which is perhaps why I have way too many businesses. (laughs) (laughs) But constantly trying to give myself as many opportunities to then make a calculated decision when my gut tells me what is right. Right. And that's why, for example, I applied to the two different types of grad programs. Because at the time, I was like, I could do this or I could do that. But I'm not entirely sure yet. I'm going to kind of, I'm going to lean into both. Okay. And then my gut will tell me what's right, and the and whatever kind of pans out, that will also tell me what is right for me. Yeah, I like that you mentioned it's it's a theme that I've taken from this episode I heard a while ago from Tim Ferriss, but it was uh, someone that's in venture capitalism, and she talked about her, the advice that her father gave her, and she's I think from Japanese heritage, and she said no matter what you do, whether it's you're getting coffee for someone or you are like the head of the company, you do everything with exceptional level. And I feel like that's a theme you said right there is no matter what you were doing, even if you were no longer going to go down that path, you still showed up with exceptional efforts because um, A, that gives you potential opportunity Mm -hmm. if you do want to come back. And B, at least you you can say, hey, I did it with my full effort, you know? Yeah. And I feel, and I feel like that just, again, goes across the board in all areas of life. Like, I think especially with relationships, yeah. people, and it, I think there's just so much parallel between our, like, these hardcore things we talk about more publicly versus, mm-hmm. like, the personal life stuff. Mm-hmm. But I think the parallel is you have to put in full exceptional effort in both in order to know or, like, I guess be able to see that gut feeling come about. What, yeah. You know what I mean? And then you can trust it. Yeah. And... I don't know. I just I think that whatever decision you end up making, you've made that decision, lean into it, make it work for you, and then mm-hmm. it will open up other doors even if that one thing that you're doing isn't quite right. Right. And I think that no matter what, efforts are always rewarded. And the amount of friends, peers, whatnot that I've spoken with that that feel like they've wasted certain years mm-hmm. or they wasted certain opportunities because they just didn't really put in the effort or they didn't mm-hmm. put in a hundred percent effort. Mm-hmm. And I hear this especially with my friends that I was in college with saying, well, like I just I just kind of wanted the the overall experience. And I was like, I wanted the overall experience, but I wanted to like lean into it and I wanted right. to be very present and right. and make those work for me yeah. as well. Yeah. And I don't want to have regret. Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. I I could not agree more. And you know what I think is funny too, because I think you mentioned how some people talk about how they 
feel like they wasted time doing like certain things and I'm curious too maybe in like your consulting business whether some people have that fear of like oh if I if I go down this path but ends up not working out did I waste my time right how do you personally from the past and now how do you overcome that thought process if it comes up for you of like am I wasting my time and energy doing this when I'm not 100% certain yet so I always tell people that it's the overall goal that matters. So especially with mm-hmm. my clients, there's a lot of anxiety around admissions because you're putting yourself out there, you're writing this application, and it's very possible to get an actual rejection letter. Mm-hmm. And I say to them, well, if I told you you're going to get rejected this year, mm-hmm. but that rejection will make it so that way you get accepted next year. Mm-hmm. The goal was what mattered to you, right? Right. So the timeline shouldn't. And so I think that it's really important to lean into opportunities, test them out, mm-hmm. give them effort. And then if somewhere down the line, it doesn't seem like that's the right thing, you can change your goal. You can change your direction. Mm-hmm. For example, I remember having a conversation with a friend back when I was deciding to pivot away from my professional athletics career. And I had gone to a horse show that weekend because I just wanted to see my friends and I wasn't competing. I was just going to go hang out. And she's like, why are you here? And we're not really friends anymore. (laughs) And I was like, well, I just wanted to be here. I just wanted to see everybody. Like, just want to stay connected. And she's like, but you quit. And Mm -hmm. I was like, no, I didn't quit. I pivoted. Yeah. The goal changed. Yeah. I didn't give up on this. I said that this is this was a stepping stone. Right. For me to figure this out. Right. And so I don't like the mentality that, oh, well, you quit. Right. You quit a relationship. You quit a career. Yeah. I got what I needed from it. I gave it 100% effort where, yeah. where I could. And then when circumstances changed, when I changed, when my mm-hmm. goals changed, I pivoted. Mm-hmm. I did what was right for me. Mm-hmm. And I think that I look at you and I look at others that I have met specifically online Mm -hmm. through social media and they're the best at pivoting and making that story work for them and and really finding strength in that narrative Mm -hmm. rather than saying oh well i didn't follow the straight and narrow path right and i don't really like this idea of this black and white that you know you shouldn't do xyz or you shouldn't be here anymore if you you know, pivoted from it. Yeah. It's kind of weird, right? Because again, I was a former competitive figure skater and Mm -hmm. I don't think it's weird if I step on ice every now and then, even though I'm not nearly the level I used to be, you know what I mean? Or like if I stay in the coaching world, like for Mm -hmm. whether it's like full-time, part-time or actually just for a season, you know, I think it's okay to still return to things that still give you joy, but might not be what is meant for your entire joy, so to speak, you know? Yeah, it's still a passion. Like something Mm -hmm. that was once something that was really deeply important to you doesn't really go away. Mm -hmm. It's just that it's not the focal point. It doesn't have to be a career at this moment in time or ever again. Mm -hmm. And for example, I started riding again. Yeah. And... Oh yeah, I've seen on your stories. Oh, that's fun. (laughs) And so I did that because... I kept avoiding it because I missed the horses. I missed riding, but I kept saying, well, if I'm not competing, like, what's the point? I know. Because that's the mentality. You're trained as an athlete to compete and to perform at the best level possible and to commit. 
mm-hmm. and you're you're trained and you're coached and you're yelled at to commit. <laughs> and I just I sat with it one day and I was like, you know what? I just want to do it for fun. I just want to ride. I miss horses. I miss doing this. And it's still something I love, yeah. but it doesn't have to be my personality anymore. It doesn't have mm-hmm. to be my career. And I can still enjoy it for my own reasons. Yeah. And I think that that's important too. It's just just because you decide to pivot away from something doesn't necessarily mean that it's no longer a part of your life. Exactly. Yeah. And like I said, I, I relate to that in both my passports, but also even with relationships too. You know, I think, um, I don't know what your thoughts are on this, but I think even with friends or past partners, mm-hmm. even if they're not, whether they're not in your life anymore, or if they're not as active in your life as they used to be from a different chapter. I don't think that's very black and white, meaning that you can't still talk to them every now and then or like to still be friendly. You know what I mean? Because I think it's very, like we gotta be mindful and careful of how we frame things in our mind of thinking like, oh, because we're not best friends anymore like we were in college, I can't talk to her like as friendly. You know what I mean? Because I think some of us, um, I've seen it in, in my own friend circle and definitely myself where you catch yourself thinking something that like doesn't need to be there. You know what I mean? Like you don't need to have that thought. I think that we put so much pressure on our relationships to stay the way that they once were while we we ourselves are trying to grow. Mm -hmm. And we see that as a positive thing, but we see that as negative if the people around us aren't acting the way that we did back when we were 16 and best friends. (laughs) Relationships evolve, people evolve, and communication styles also change Mm -hmm. over time. And I think that somebody that was important to you at one point in your life probably plays a different role in your life now. Yeah. But they're still always going to be important to you. Mm -hmm. Like you're always going to care about them. Yeah. And even the people that I have actively made a choice not to have them in my life and to not communicate with Mm -hmm. anymore, it's because I still do really care about them, Mm -hmm. but the person they are and have evolved to become or have not evolved Mm -hmm. just no longer aligns with my own particular values or communication style and that that relationship while it was good for a time is a negative experience now yeah um and so i think that everything everything changes over time and it's Mm -hmm. it's okay to to recognize that not everything is going to stay the same Mm -hmm. especially in our relationships yeah absolutely and i did say speaking of relationships Mm -hmm. i wanted to dive into that with you and get spicy on this because (laughs) i've seen on your story definitely Mm -hmm. i would i'm assuming the timeline ever since you were in london over the summer um sounds like you have been making time for what is known as london boy on your instagram (laughs) stories i would always see like your little schedule for the day and at the end around like dinner time it's like you're chatting with this guy and you early you mentioned earlier he's now your boyfriend Mm -hmm. Um, but let's just dive into it, like share the story of how you guys met and starting from like, over, like in London and also in particular, I'm really curious, how did you find it like comfortable to be okay with the long distance and making mindful time to chat almost every day or if not every day in your busy schedule? Yeah. So I made a pact with my assistant this summer. We were both going to be in England. Mm-hmm. And I remember we were in, we were on the train to Bath and we were like spending the day together and she was going to be going off to study abroad and I was going to be in London for research. And we basically made a pact that we would like date. 
yeah actively while we were in london or cambridge and so we both downloaded hinge and like mm-hmm. <laughs> set up a couple of of dates and whatnot and it's just ironic because both of us went on two dates and then the second one was what led us to cancel all the other ones for both uh, of you mm-hmm. oh that is yeah. so crazy yeah and so i had gone on one date uh i think a few days before i had met london boy yeah and then and it was good like it was fun it was a nice conversation and whatnot and i had like a bunch of dates lined mm-hmm. up like i think i had at least four oh on the back gosh. end of Of this one. Um, And so (laughs) I had a, I have various rules Mm -hmm. or had various rules when it came to first dates. One, it had to be time bound. So no first date ever goes over an hour and a half. Okay. And do you tell the guy this or? Well, I, I tell them when I get there, hey, I have an engagement around this time. Yeah. That I have to go to. Okay. Wait, why is that? Why, why, why this rule? (laughs) <laughs> I'm so I, I love this topic. I've never talked about this on a podcast ever before, but so I had the rule because at about an hour and a half mm-hmm. is where if the conversation's really boring, you're like, okay, I kind of like I kind of want to leave. Right. Like it's a li- like I'm, I feel like we're a little overstaying the welcome. Right. right. And then if it's going really well, then you're putting an end to it, in which case the conversation of like whether or not you want to see each other again like kind of naturally arises. Okay. And so that day in particular, I actually did have a meeting immediately after okay. that I had to go to. And so I met him for a drink, which is like not the best idea. Okay. <laughs> because <laughs> I didn't really think about the fact that I have a meeting yeah, that's with, a tough one, one. with somebody on my team. Oh, that's like, tough. After <laughs> but it was fine. Katie was fine with it. Yeah. Um, but I got there and I was like, hi, it's so nice to meet you, whatnot. And I was like, I just let you know, like, I am going to have to leave by this time. I have a call. Yeah. But really excited to be here. Like, let's hang out. Yeah. So I had a really good chat, like, good back and forth. And it was, I, I already felt like very comfortable around him and knew for a fact that I wanted to see him again. And I was like, okay, like, it's now time. I like really need to get a taxi and, and get back to my hotel because I had this call. And he was like, well, I could, like, meet up with you afterward or, like, I'd like, can I see you tomorrow? And I was like, I'll text you. So I get back to the hotel, do my call, and then I'm texting with him in the evening. And I said, (laughs) (laughs) we can meet again tomorrow. However, there's a caveat. I told my assistant that I would take her out tomorrow. And so if you're coming, you're playing wingman for her. (laughs) Wow, that's very forward for like a second meeting. Yeah. I mean, I was a lot more bold in London. Okay. <laughs> Mostly because I was just like, I don't want, I don't need this to turn into anything. I'm just having right. a, a fun for the I summer. I would totally be the same too. Absolutely. And, and this is, I think this is a part of my personality that people don't see on my YouTube channel as much. Like, mm-hmm. I, I can be a bit bold yeah. if I want to be. Right. And so anyhow, he – and I told him, like, you can invite friends, like, whatever you want to do, mm-hmm. and show up and he's the only one there. Yeah. And so it was him hanging out with me and my assistant the entire night. Yeah. We ended up, like, out until 1, 2 in the morning. That's so fun. But because my assistant's there, he's not <laughs> – we're not really having, like, right. intimate one-on-one conversation. Right. And so at the end of the night, I was like, I don't know if he actually likes me or not. Okay. Um, but then the next day, I got a message from him. He's like, 
I'd like to take you out to dinner and whatnot. And so mm-hmm. anyhow, by like date three, I had canceled all the other dates okay. <laughs> that I had planned. And I was like, I'm just going to kind of see where this goes. Mm-hmm. And so we saw each other throughout the time that I was in London. So I met him the first week and a half that I was there. And I was wow. only there for four weeks. Except I didn't tell him that I wasn't living there. <laughs> I'm so curious how you get to that point. In all fairness, it just never came up. Right. And he never asked. Yeah. And so then we're on date three. And I said something along the lines of, oh, yeah, back in my apartment. And he's like, oh, where, where do you live? And I was like, Connecticut. <laughs> oh, my. What was his reaction? I just remember he, like, took a pause and he's like, oh, Oh, he was like, oh, shit. (laughs) And then I remember it was like date four. We were at his apartment and he was like, okay, what do you want this to be? Like, are you seeing this as casual? And I was like thinking to myself, I've never had a conversation like this this early on. Right. And I just remember very nonchalantly being like, "Eh, we'll just keep talking. We'll see how it goes. Okay. And so saw him as much as I could while I was still there. And then I got back to Connecticut and I was like, well, we'll just like see. Because I had to be back there in three weeks anyway for a conference. And so we ended up talking on FaceTime like every single day. Wow. And we had kind of talked around the subject while I was in Connecticut. And then when I went back in August, had like the conversation. And so then we decided to give it a shot. (laughs) <laughs> wow. Okay. That is so like I love first off, I love a dating story. I love like how relationships become what they are. But was there ever the fe- like a fear or like heavy conversation around the long distance aspect? Um not heavy. Okay. I think that we acknowledged it pretty pretty early on, but I've always been in long distance relationships. Like my okay. former relationship was with a guy who lived in Orange County. Okay. And obviously, I was at Oxford, and then I was at, in Connecticut. Yeah. And so we were together for two years, and that was all long distance. So wow. I was, I'm was quite used to long distance, and I'm fine with it. Oh, interesting. Most people are not fine with it. Right. I, however, used to be on the side of, I think long distance is great. However, now it's not nearly as, it's not nearly as fun when you actually really like the person. Right, right. But... We had conversations about it in terms of what it is that we would need in order to communicate yeah. in a healthy way that would make us both feel secure mm-hmm. and whatnot. And I'm a pretty independent individual that likes – I like my space and yeah. whatnot. But it's important to me that we both make time for each other to to speak every day and, yeah. and whatnot and still feel like we – are in each other's lives, even though I don't get to see him for months at a time. Right. And I also have a rule with long distance, which is to have the next two trips planned okay. in advance. Yeah. Always. Uh, the reason being that then you always have something to look forward to and you have some kind of marker to say, okay, well, we're like, yeah, we're long distance. This isn't great. and But at least we get to see each other in like X number of days. Right. And so at least there's some right, progression right, right. to yeah. things. So you've had long distance experience and mm-hmm. I think long distance obviously too is is very difficult for a lot of people because yeah. 
of knowing whether you have the skill set of communicating well and and how to make someone else feel secure and for you to feel secure in in what you need. Do you have any advice around that from your past experience and kind of what you've learned over the years in the relationship sector? (laughs) Yeah. So I will say that I don't think I'm very direct. However, he thinks I'm very direct, which I don't know if it is a cultural difference or if that's actually how I am. Yeah. But... From the very beginning, I would say, like, I would ask the questions of, like, how can I be supportive of you? Oh, wow. Like, what is what type of communication makes you feel most secure? What type of communication or things make you insecure? Mm-hmm. How do you want to deal with conversations around, like, hanging out with people of the opposite sex, like, mm-hmm. given that we're both heterosexual? Right. And how is it that... Like, for example, like, how would you define cheating? How would you define, right? like, how would you define a healthy relationship and all of those things? So, I mean, I was asking those questions by, like, date three. Wow. Okay. (laughs) Mostly just because for me, I mean, I even asked that with my friends in terms of, like, how can I be a good friend to you? Totally. How often would you, like, when I ask these types of questions... Does that make you uncomfortable? Mm -hmm. Like these types of things. And I think I'm quite open with all of my friends and the people on my team and and whatnot. And so for me, the most important piece of advice, one, ask the question that you're nervous about Mm -hmm. as as soon as it comes into your mind. Okay. Because, well, unless it's a question that's like based on anxiety and fear. Right. But – Phrase it in such a way that actually gives your partner or that gives a friend the ability to be honest with you. Mm -hmm. And one thing that I had a really hard time with in my former relationship that was long distance is that I'm a very honest person with Mm -hmm. everybody in my life. I do not keep secrets, Mm -hmm. but I will answer the question that I'm asked. Right. And so if you want the answer, then phrase it in such a way that will give you the result that makes you feel secure. Right. So, for example, in conversations around friends of the opposite sex when mm-hmm. you're a heterosexual in a heterosexual relationship. Yeah. For example, there's the question of oh, what did you do with what did you do with Charlie? Mhm. And like like there's there's some apprehension in it and yeah. the way it's phrased versus hey, I'm just feeling a little insecure about this. Could you please explain to me like your relationship with Charlie? Yeah. And like what that's what that's like. Yeah. And being like, oh yeah, he's just my friend and like I've known him for this amount of time and this right. is the things that we talk about and that kind of thing. Right. Then it's a conversation where we can be very clear yeah. about why you're asking the question and what type of support that you need or what type of answer you're looking for. Mm-hmm. And that way, instead of it being an accusatory question that said, like, oh, well, I just hung out with Charlie, we just grabbed lunch right versus me feeling like oh well you're asking this question looking for me to give explanations so that way you feel more secure and that's yeah. i'm happy to do so yeah and so Have i don't you... necessarily know what my piece of advice no is, but... i mean that's really good though because what i'm picking up from it is especially it's ironic because i recently just finished the book called attached yeah i don't know if you ever read that or like know... i know of it yeah I know of it. do you know about attachment styles i do okay because i was gonna say you clearly like what you're saying and sharing is very much around ensuring 
you can be as secure as possible Mm -hmm. and the partner can be as secure and like knowing when they feel anxious like knowing how to respond well um and like wording your question well so that like your partner for example like some partners could feel like they're getting attacked if someone's you know what i mean yeah and i don't yeah sorry go ahead even in the questions that i ask for Mm -hmm. example if there's moments where i feel a little insecure or I feel like I may be being neglectful and that's maybe like causing some kind of issue. Yeah. I phrase it in such a way of like, I'm having these feelings or thoughts and it's not in particular something that you did right. that led to this. However, could you explain this to me so I mm-hmm. can better understand why you did X number of things mm-hmm. or why you're acting a certain way? Yeah. And that way I just try to leave questions that I ask any other counterpart, mm-hmm. friends included, yeah. and people on my team, I try never to ask accusatory questions right. and try to give everybody the the room to actually explain yeah. why it is that they're feeling certain ways mm-hmm. or like, I mean, I do this with my assistant. Like my assistant's yeah. like probably the, one of the closest people in my life. Yeah. And instead of saying like, hey, why didn't that, an- that email get answered? Going to her and saying, hey, I noticed that this email didn't get answered. Is this something that I can take off of your plate? Or is this something that is on your to-do list? Like, totally. can you please just give me a little status update? Yeah, yeah, The way that you present things and the way that you address them mm. wildly changes the type of result that you're going to be given and the feeling that that person on the on the receiving end is going to feel about the way that you're right. coming into that space. Right. Yeah. And no, I, it's, I think it's so important to communicate in those ways. It's so important. And I don't know if you like learned it from any specific podcast, book, or, or person. Did, did you? Yeah. I, so nothing in particular, but I very actively listen to podcasts. Yeah. So I listen to yours. I listen to Stephen Bartlett. I'm, Stephen Bartlett's like my idol. Yeah. And Ali Abdal. And they have these speakers that will talk about psychology i'll talk about relationships and i really mm-hmm. love the questions that this the actual podcast hosts ask mm-hmm. the reason being that they're asking questions that allow for elaborative answers yeah versus for example the the question of well like give me your story tell me tell me about yourself or right tell, tell me why you did this thing right versus saying what's some context that i need to know about you Mm -hmm. in order to better understand the way that you address problems in your business today Mm -hmm. or the way that you address problems in your relationship. Mm -hmm. And, like, I just think that the art of the question, podcast host, business leader, relationship, whatever it may be, that Mm -hmm. the way that we ask questions can just so wildly change the way that we communicate with others Mm -hmm. and can really improve our relationships. Yeah. And that's partially because of the influence of like listening to podcasts myself, but also taking those podcasts and the way that they're structured and taking readings and whatnot and actually taking them on board Mm -hmm. and trying to think to myself, how can I be a better listener? How can I be a better supportive friend? Mm -hmm. How can I be more communicative with my partner to help them feel more secure? Yeah. Or to make them feel like to help them feel like they're cared for, they're they're loved. Yes. Because I want everybody in my life, when they think about me, to think, oh, Kaylin is a very supportive and and caring person. Right. I've always believed the foundation of our fulfillment in life doesn't come from our success 
but rather the strength of our relationships, not only with others, but also with ourselves. And how we develop a deeper connection is through self-reflection and purposeful conversations with those around us, especially like-minded individuals. And that is exactly why I created the What Fulfills You card game, to cultivate both more meaningful relationships with others as well as ourselves on the journey of personal growth. I certainly use these questions as a guide for journal prompts and weekly check-ins with myself and of course when I am playing this game with friends on a Friday night in, you bet I am enjoying it with a glass of wine or two, who knows. (laughs) Shop the card game now at whatfulfillsyou.com and enjoy an exclusive 10% off for listeners only with the code whatfulfillsyou10 at checkout. That's whatfulfillsyou10 at checkout at whatfulfillsyou.com. Enjoy! When it comes to communication, because obviously you're very mindful of how you word things and how it can make the receiving end feel about it. Do you have like a rule about how quickly you respond to messages or emails? Like, for example, Mm -hmm. especially if it's slightly tension or like slightly conflicting, do Mm -hmm. you have a rule for yourself like okay I need to give myself some space before I respond to this or do you find it easier to kind of like nip it right away so it depends on the situation Mm -hmm. with things related to business if I feel emotional about it I take a step back and wait until I can kind of logically think through it or I can have a conversation with somebody on the team to help me work through it Mm -hmm. when it comes to relationships I tended in the past, talking about attachment styles, I'm a very avoidant person. Okay. Interesting. Naturally. Mm-hmm. I naturally just want to, I'm like, oh, I'll just like do it myself. Got it's it. It's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't need anybody. Right. And having to develop communication skills to commute, like to work with a team or to work mm-hmm. with a partner and being able to say, what it is that I'm feeling in that moment if I do need space. Mm -hmm. And in the past, what I used to do with friendships, relationships, if things got tense, I would just shut down Mm. and be like, I would let them have their peace. And then I'd be like, okay, I'm going to go. Got it. We can like talk about this tomorrow when like you're less emotional and I've had time to process this. Mm -hmm. But that for somebody on the receiving end Mm -hmm. Of somebody who, for example, is an anxious attachment style, Mm -hmm. that is just an absolute explosion waiting to happen. Yes, (laughs) And I learned over time that the best thing that I can do in those moments is, one, prior to those issues happening, asking the person, in these circumstances where things are tense, what do you need? What type of communication is most helpful to you? Mm Mm-hmm in order for me to show up in that way and on like trying to meet a middle ground Mm -hmm. a lot of people want immediate response right and i don't really know how to give that immediate response sometimes Mm -hmm. and so what i will do is instead say i'm here i am listening Mm -hmm. and i'm trying to take everything that you're saying on board here is how i'm feeling and how i'm reacting Mm -hmm. And these are the things that I think I need from you in order for me to give you a response that you're looking for. Mm -hmm. For example, I get really – I shut down when people's voices are raised Mm -hmm. or, like, when tensions are really high. Mm -hmm. And so in order for me to 
show up in that conversation and to be able to communicate how I'm feeling, I need the like the volume and I need the like energy of it to yeah. kind of come down to a calmer level. Totally. So whether that means that we need to like take a step away and come back and have the conversation or like we can like right. enter the conversation with not as charged a tone. Yeah. If that can happen, then I can communicate and I can tell you how I'm mm-hmm. feeling. But if the volume goes up, then I immediately feel like reprimanded. <laughs> yeah. And I like that you mentioned kind of what you do as well as an avoidant on like ways you communicate to kind of try to meet halfway, especially with people that could be more anxious or skew more on the anxious side, because that could be helpful for avoiding people. I will say, you know, I probably am a little bit more like the like a mild anxious yeah. and primarily secure. But I think I, I, beca- I skew anxious when I'm with avoidant people mm-hmm. because I tend to address things right away and then they're the type to kind of withdraw or you know distance themselves Mm -hmm. from the situation and then more mostly most of the time i would say i've noticed that majority of them struggle to communicate what why they're doing what they're doing which makes the anxious people more anxious and i find that that it's great advice for people who could be like right now like oh shit that that is something that i do and i could probably like quickly say to someone and that and for secure people that would be regardless it'd be like okay what you know it's great like that helps and Mm -hmm. for anxious it would just definitely i think de-escalate their anxiety or any triggers to go up so that's super helpful (laughs) um okay so now i'm really curious too in terms of like burnout because i know you talked about that recently how do you make time for everything because you have a pretty loaded like structured schedule in a way like you make your schedule but it seems to be kind of like very blocked off in a certain yeah. way and then you have you make time to talk to you know your now boyfriend um what has been your real- realization since the burnout and kind yeah. of what are you doing now maybe different from pr- uh, previous times to ensure that you have a well-balanced stru- you know structure and, and schedule so as someone who is kind of hyperactive anxious Mm -hmm. like the way that I deal with my anxiety is just constant action Mm. I don't know how to really shut off unless I exhaust myself and so it's just this constant battle of like go crash go crash got it and it came to a bit of a head when I just I sat there and I looked at everything that was on my to-do list and I'm trying really hard to get through things but I just I felt foggy, mm-hmm. and that's the best way I can describe the way that burnt out, burnt, be, being burned out manifested itself for me was mm-hmm. that I would be sitting there trying to edit a client document. My brain just could not manage to make the connections right. and, and provide the feedback that I knew I was capable of. Right. And I just didn't really feel like I was putting out my best work. And so that's when I took a step back and I realized – I've just exhausted myself. Like mm-hmm. I, the reason that this is the issue is because at a biological level, I just am not sleeping enough. Mm-hmm. And I have my time blocks mostly because then it, it allows me to kind of focus in on one thing. Mm-hmm. And even though you have the massive to-do list, there's like exhaustion of choice mm-hmm. to say, well, like that's the thing as a priority, but so is that thing. Mm-hmm. And so is that thing. And I have a business to run, yeah. but a PhD I need to complete. Right. And what I've done is one, I started seeing a therapist, which I recommend for one, anybody, but mm-hmm. especially those that are trying to go to grad school. Yeah. And because it's such a it's such a deeply intellectually like unstable process right and you're constantly 
getting a feedback loop of, well, that's good, but not good enough. And that's mm. good, but not good enough. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> that's tough. <laughs> and it's, it's funny having come from an athletics background in particular, and I'm sure that you feel this. Mm-hmm. You're so used to somebody externally being like, not good enough, keep going, not yep. good enough, keep going. Yep. And so that it kind of goes in the back of your head where you're like, keep trying, keep trying, keep trying, push harder. Mm-hmm. And then what I did was I essentially had a meeting with my therapist and she said, you're exhausted. Mm-hmm. You're you're sick. You need to take a sick day. Mm. And I was like, no, I'm not sick. I don't feel unwell. I just feel really tired. Mm. And she's like, no, 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 you're sick. Yeah. You need to take time and you need to rest. Mm. And so I took social media off my phone. I told my team, I communicated with everybody that this is what I need. I need to take a break. I need to take a step back. And I just slept. Yeah. (laughs) I slept, I read, I watched some TV shows and whatnot, but I really just tried to just check out, which is something that I don't normally, I don't normally know how to do. But at some point I just realized that everybody, anybody that's a hyperactive and, and driven individual, I think has some feeling of guilt when they take rest. Mm -hmm. And I get that comment a lot. And I just realized that the same excuse that you're giving for why it is that you can't complete the work, Mm -hmm. the same excuse that you're in a way giving yourself as to why you cannot rest. Yeah. Like you have to just push past the barrier and say like, but you need it or you need to push yourself in this way. And so for Mm -hmm. me, I was like, well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to push myself to actually learn how to relax. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so I took a few days and then I gave myself permission to go back to my work and say like, okay, I'm just going to see how this feels. Mm -hmm. And I sat down at my desk and everything was clicking. I was so efficient, like got through my emails. I had new ideas. Like I felt inspired to be back on social media again. And that was the moment it actually clicked where mm. I th- told my – I realized that discipline mm. is not working yourself to exhaustion. Discipline is making the space to rest so that you show up at your work at your best. Yeah. Because it's not good enough to just keep working yourself to the bone to the point where you are utterly exhausted mm-hmm. because you're not showing up and doing your best work. Yeah. It is actually disciplined and it is good for you and it is putting yourself first to say – I need this rest so that way I can show up and be the best I can be for my team. I can be for my research. I can be for my friendships. Mm -hmm. I'm not a good person to myself or to anybody if I'm just working myself constantly, but I'm not actually putting in good work. And I think that that's the difference. And I think that that's a bit the conversation that people are having with quote unquote balance, Mm -hmm. but it's all in measurement. Mm -hmm. For example, like there are times when you have to hustle, like there Mm -hmm. are times when you have to go at it. Yeah. But there are also times where you need to also look at your schedule and say, that empty time that's on my schedule, mm-hmm. do not put a call there. Yeah. Take some take some time to chill out. Yeah. Talk to your friends on the phone. Mm-hmm. FaceTime with your boyfriend. Right. Or like film a YouTube video if that's what you want to do. But right. don't don't push yourself because you think that a filled schedule is what makes you successful. Totally. <laughs> a what makes you successful is showing up to your work at your hundred percent. 
and mm-hmm. being able to do the best work that you're capable of. And you can't do the best work you're capable of if you're exhausted. Yeah, I could not agree more. And, you know, I think similarly, I I used to be the type that loved a filled schedule. Mm-hmm. But now I'm very like, I want as little meetings as possible, like yeah. little appointments I have to get to because it allows me in the other hours to Mm -hmm. do a whatever I feel most inclined to during that time and b have like the free flowing space to kind of like work in my own zone you know and I think it's kind of having going back to that self-awareness of who you are and how you operate as a person and like you said taking care of yourself first so that you can show up really well in all areas of your life not just your work you know and also when you allow that space Mm-hmm. in your schedule to say this is this is empty time yeah. that I get to focus on me. The best conversations, the best ideas come from organic situations. Mm-hmm. It's driving in the car with your friends. It's getting to grab coffee with somebody mm-hmm. that you've met for the first time. Or it's getting to take a break and mm-hmm. lay on your couch with your dog <laughs> and just watch Gilmore Girls. Yeah. Sometimes the best creative work and the best thing that you can do for yourself is to give yourself that space for things to just occur. Yeah. (laughs) And for example, I hung out with Katie who works for me, but she's also one of my best friends Mm -hmm. this last weekend. And we had business ideas. We had things that we like, Mm -hmm. but normally on that Sunday, I would work, 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 work all day long. But I realized that the best thing I can do for myself is hang out with Katie. We'll get some work done. But the best conversation that we had was like while driving to go get a donut. Yeah. And I think it's important to make that time as well because it's not just, well, I need to rest and lay on the couch. Mm -hmm. Rest also looks like what fills your cup. Yeah. And it depends on how it is that you receive energy. But Mm -hmm. take stock of your life, your friendships, your relationships. Mm -hmm. If, for example, like in that rest time – you have a friendship that when you go into the see them, you find it draining. Mm-hmm. And that's that's depleting the cup versus yep. finding relationships and finding activities, hobbies, mm-hmm. whatever it may be, that energizes you, that it makes you feel creatively inspired. Yeah. For example, I watch YouTube videos, but I watch them strategically. Mm-hmm. And when I had that restful time, I got to watch YouTube again. Mm -hmm. And I realized like, oh, there's this editing thing that I could try. Like I should reach out to this person. And so it's not just work versus rest. That rest time is organic space for you to fill your cup up again. Absolutely. I could not agree more with that. Um, Okay. Last few questions I have. Mm -hmm. Advice that has gotten you through your early 20s, and this can be any area of your life, whether it's school, uh, your career, relationships, friendships, yeah. anything that comes to mind. So the one quote that I've just, it, it lives like on the screen on my phone. It lives on my computer. Mm-hmm. I love Grace Beverly. She is, she's a former influencer who's now the CEO of her own companies in the UK. And I've been watching her for years. And she went on a podcast where She said, do less, better. Mm. And this is something that I think about constantly Mm -hmm. because trying to simplify – I think we often try to maximize everything. We Mm -hmm. want to have as diverse and complex 
a life mm -hmm. as possible. And that includes like running from meeting to meeting and mm -hmm. having all these various types of friendships versus thinking about the deep work that we can do in our businesses, in our research, in our relationships that actually allow you to do the really magnificent work mm -hmm. that will be your legacy. And I think that especially in my early 20s, it was always about be seen as dynamic as possible. Mm. But now what I'm trying to do is instead of focusing on, well, I need to have a business with this many employees and I need to have this business and it needs to have hit these KPIs and these markers and whatnot. I just, I just want a life with really great friendships and I mm -hmm. really, and I want a business that I feel is doing good work and I want to create content that I really enjoy. And so now trying to think of how do I do less, but do it to the best of my ability. Mm. And I think that that's the, the advice that I would give everybody is think about what it is that's, that is currently in your life, relationships, work, whatever yeah. it may be. How is it that you can simplify, but do it to the best of your ability? Yeah. Ooh, I like that. The simplification of life. Yes. <laughs> Um, a book recommendation that was transformative for your life and you think would be helpful for other women. So Stephen Bartlett's book, it's Happy Sexy Millionaire. Mm. That book and his podcast in general was so transformative for me over the summer because mm -hmm. it's him him realizing the the way that he viewed success as a child or as a teenager or even as a young adult wasn't actually fulfilling. Mm -hmm. And the anecdotes that he uses and whatnot, I just, I found it really inspiring. Mm -hmm. And especially when he was talking about how to operate in a team as mm -hmm. somebody who has a rather large team and accepted trying to figure out how do I, one, get the best out of everybody, but how is it that I show up as a leader mm -hmm. that both leads by example, but also gives people the, the license and the comfort and trust to actually show up as they are rather yeah. than feeling like they have to put on a facade. And part of that from reading that book, the way that I changed mm -hmm. was, for example, actually telling my team, I'm going to go take a, I'm going to go take a nap. I'm going to go do this. I'm going to go take the night off because I have to show up and show them like I am taking care of myself yeah. and I am doing what is right for me to mm -hmm. show up as the best leader possible yeah. and that you should too. Mm -hmm. And that I'm going to be very open and honest with my friends and my team in return so that way they can feel that they can do that with me. Mm. And so I think that, that that book was really transformative for me. Ooh, okay, that's a good one. I will link that in the show notes for sure. So I'm going to pull one or two questions from the card game. How has being realistic or responsible kept you from the life you want? Oh, I don't think I'm realistic. <laughs> or I guess <laughs> maybe at any point in time where you felt like you were maybe trying to be more practical and you realize it kept you from maybe certain things that you do have now, so to speak. Okay. So the thing that actually comes to mind is certain friendships and relationships that I've stayed in and continued pouring effort into mm. even past the point when I realized it wasn't actually right for me. Mm. And I think it takes time. It takes, like I said, it takes evidence 
to know what's right for you. Right. You have to have evidence of times that it's worked and times that it hasn't worked in order for you to know what that point is. And so I don't regret it. But I remembered being in a relationship in particular where every time we got into a fight, the back of my mind thought, imagine the things that you could do if you weren't with him. Mm, You had that thought already. I had it like when we first started dating. Oh, wow. Okay. And it's interesting because by the end of the relationship, I remember looking back on the very beginning and I was like, the thing I doubted at the beginning is the thing that ended us now. Right. Two years later. Mm. And again, it took time and I wanted to figure out how to operate in a relationship and what that feeling actually meant. Mm -hmm. Because again, it takes leaning into it at 100% in order for your gut to actually tell you accurately what it is that you need. Right. And I would say that I just felt limited in my opportunities because various dimensions of that relationship. But then afterward, I gave myself a year and I said, you have one year of not dating Mm -hmm. where you are going to lean into your businesses, your research and everything 100% and just to see what you're capable of outside of a relationship, outside of the confines of of any type of dependence. Mm Mm-hmm. And I did that. And by the end of it was when I actually realized, okay, I know what I'm capable of. I know what 100% looks like. I now know that these are the things that I would want out of a relationship Mm -hmm. and what I want out of work now. Because now I've experienced what that 100% looks like. Totally. And Yeah, yeah. I had that experience too. Um, Although it lasted probably more of like the past two and a half, three years. Um, And yeah, I think it's, it's such a great experience when you do give yourself that time to be mindful about you know, for you mm-hmm. and for your career, for your personal goals and the things that you want to invest in. And it's, I, I personally think it's a great time when you can be single and focused in yes. your 20s, like yes. like a, a good year minimum, you know? Minimum. Yeah. So, I mean, I luckily I had that just in like a perfect time from like after graduating yeah. college and kind of like jumping from OC to LA to, you know, so I think it, I had the perfect timing of that, but um, it, it came at a time too where I was mindfully like, yes, this is what I'm focused on. Yeah, good for I you. Think it's important. <laughs> okay, well, last question, something I ask everyone on the mm-hmm. show, but you have probably been reflecting a lot on this and through your journey with your academic career, yeah. your professional career, your friendships, your relationships. But in reflection of all that, what would you say fulfills you? I like teaching. Mm-hmm. And I realized that, especially this last summer, with my research and whatnot, I always ask myself, to what end, like to what end do you build these businesses and create content and all these things? And it's because I love inspiring people through teaching and however it is that I can do that, whether that's through YouTube or teaching in the classroom, I want to teach. Yeah. Oh, I love that. And and I like that the main theme there for you too is it's around impact and how you impact people. It's amazing. Well, thank you for coming here and coming all the way into New York. Um, Where can everyone find you? Share your social media, your consulting business, and I will definitely link all of that in the show notes. So all of my handles, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube is at the Redhead Academic. And then you can find my businesses at it's at Accepted Consulting or acceptedconsulting.com and then Accepted Society. So I think it's the Accepted Society on Instagram. Okay, perfect. I will link all that in the show notes. Thank Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. (laughs) 
And that was all for today's episode with Kaylin Grace Apple. I hope you all enjoyed this. And if you did, please be sure to share this episode on your Instagram story and tag both of us at what fulfills you and at the redhead academic so we can also share with our community. And as always, my DMs are always open if you want to give feedback or just share episodes that you've been enjoying, anything that has been helpful for you because I really do love chatting with you guys and just getting to know you and hearing feedback on the show. If you're curious about where you can get the card game that we also played on this episode, you can shop all the merch, including the card game at whatfulfillsyou.com. If you're listening to this right now on November 8th, which is the day the episode has come out, there is a pre-Thanksgiving sale right now because I know a lot of people love to bring this to Friendsgiving and Thanksgiving events, and this is a great meaningful conversation starter game. So if you're interested in having this for Thanksgiving and all the fun festivities, there is a sale. So definitely go check it out at whatfulfillsyou.com. Thanks again for tuning in this week. I will chat with you all in the next episode. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.